0: Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our communities, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Griot, and this week we're speaking with the women behind a mind-blowing, necessary documentary called My Name is Polly Murray. It's in theaters now and will be available to stream on Amazon Prime Video on October 1st. Holly Marie coined the term Jane Crow, you know, like Jim Crow, but Jane Crow to describe the unique experience of intersectionality before that was even a concept and wrote a lot about the burden of being both black and female in America. The impact Polly made and the legacy Polly left behind is something everyone should recognize and appreciate. And the fact that Polly left so much information for us to explore tells me this is just the tip of the iceberg. The documentary is only 90 minutes and it just scratches the surface of an extraordinary life who made an immeasurable impact on all of our lives and we don't even know it. Here's the synopsis. Fifteen years before Rosa Parks refused to surrender her bus seat, a full decade before the U.S. Supreme Court overturned separate but equal legislation, Polly Murray was already knee-deep fighting for social justice. A pioneering attorney, activist, priest, and dedicated memoirist, Murray shaped landmark litigation and consciousness around race and gender equity. As an African-American youth raised in the segregated South who was also wrestling with broader notions of gender identity, Polly understood intrinsically what it was to exist beyond previously accepted categories and cultural norms. Both Polly's personal path and tireless advocacy foreshadowed some of the most politically consequential issues of our time. Told largely in Polly's own words, My Name is Polly Murray is a candid recounting of that unique and extraordinary journey. Polly struggled with gender identity that is highlighted in the film. Now the argument can be made that maybe there wasn't the language, there wasn't the dialogue, there wasn't the understanding of gender issues that we have now that we're still kind of chipping away at. But a lot of the way that Polly Murray lived life suggests that maybe today they might identify as they, they might prefer him and he pronouns. It's, you know, it's not clear. You don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but watch the doc and you'll understand why even gendering Polly Murray is a bit of a struggle for me. I'm going to do my best to navigate that throughout this podcast, and I'm sure that our guests will help with that. Talia Bridges-McMahon is the director of 2016's Black America Since MLK and Still I Rise, as well as this year's documentary Through Our Eyes. She was a producer on My Name is Polly Murray, and she's one of our guests today on Acting Up, along with one of the film's directors, Julie Cohen. Julie Cohen and Betsy West are the directing team behind 2018's RBG, which if you haven't seen that, also absolutely worth a watch. And they teamed up again to direct this documentary about Polly Murray. How are you ladies doing? I have been just fawning over this movie since I saw it a few months ago and thinking about it and thinking about why I didn't already know everything there is to know about this magnificent hero named Polly Murray. And my first question for you is, why don't we know her? Starting with the hardest
1: question there, Courtney. (laughs) A question that, you know, is almost... There's many, many answers and hard to know which to put the most weight on. I guess we kind of feel like you always have to start with racism, sexism, a natural fear and antipathy towards people who present in a gender non-conforming way. On top of that is the fact that Polly was so far ahead of the time, so far ahead of the curve so many times. I mean, you know, we talk about an idea whose time has come, but that also implies that there are ideas that maybe society isn't ready for quite yet. And Polly, time after time, was having ideas that America wasn't ready to hear. And as a result, they don't get absorbed and spread around the culture as much as they should. I just want
2: to add that, you know, Polly was so ahead of the times that by the time there was a movement for an issue that Polly had been focusing on, Polly was on to the next thing, and so Polly is pushing for racial equality. But by the time there's the civil rights movement of the 60s that we know about, Polly has moved on to women's rights, and that's at a time when the com- when the country is not really having a conversation about that. And so, time after time, you just see Polly sort of just ahead of the curve, you know, in a way that leaves us not really knowing about Polly in those spaces.
0: And ahead of the curve, exactly. like And not on one issue that she examined or worked to combat, like on everything, just the mere idea that at one point it was novel to highlight you know the double whammy that is being Black and being a woman, let alone what we learn in the doc, which is that she was raising questions about gender that we are still trying to wrap our minds around. And to think that she was onto that at that time, for me, Was was so illuminating.
2: I think it's really important, just to build off of what you were saying, I think it's really important to point out that Polly did not set out to be an activist, right? Polly was just a person trying to live a life. Polly wanted to be a writer, Polly had other professional interests. But it was really in Polly living a life and hitting up against all of these barriers that Polly starts to focus on this issue and on all these different issues. So it's really I mean, we talk about it as intersectionality now, there wasn't really a word for it in the same way during Polly's time. But it's said, you know, Polly is a person who suddenly can't do things because Polly is black. Polly can't do things because people are seeing Polly as a woman. Right. And then ultimately it's clear that Polly is a person who is gender nonconforming in that time and people have biases based on that. And so it's really Polly hitting up against all of these barriers that really makes Polly focus on them, you know, and it's sort of it is that real life experience that makes this such a acute issue for Polly. And that's how Polly ends up ahead of the time.
0: And when you set out to illuminate and examine a life, anyone's life, but a life like this, how do you even start? Because of course, this documentary left me with so many feelings, but none more paramount than needing to know more.
1: That's great. (laughs) And there's so much more to know than what's in the film. I mean, there is actually something quite overwhelming about Paulie's life. Everything this person experienced and had to fight against and overcome. And then also everything that this person achieved and all of the really fascinating intellectual insights. We could have all just like curled up in our beds and not been able to uh, move forward with making this film. But instead, like, if you take one episode and look at uh, like oh what what an amazing story in 1943 when paulie and some howard law classmates and howard undergrad classmates decide like we're going to try to desegregate a restaurant on u street in washington dc and how they sort of very step by step the way it's a strategic way paulie did everything how they managed to do that and succeeded like a great piece of a story that can be told as a story. So kind of, I don't know, I'd say piece by piece is how we told it.
2: I think that's exactly right. We had to decide very early on that we were not telling the definitive story of Polly Murray. What you said is exactly what we were aiming for, which is we want people to become interested in Polly and go out on their own and learn more. And even, you know, if more people want to make documentaries about different aspects of Polly's life or do scripted films or limited series, plays, all the things, you know, we want people to become interested in Polly. And, you know, we say Polly should get the same treatment as like a Martin Luther King or a JFK and people of that stature. Polly's life is just that rich.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, that's funny because number one, yes, like I feel like we should be learning Polly's name in kindergarten and first grade when we learn about MLK When we learn about Thurgood Marshall, when we learn about desegregation, like those images and realizing like not only was she a part of it, but kind of in a large way, like the impetus of it, like the key to unlocking how to desegregate these schools. She's a huge missing link from that story and recognizing what happened when Julie made another film, RBG. You know, same. Like I have a Ruth bathing suit now. You know, there's coffee mugs and like stuff in my house with her face on it. She's an icon that you know wasn't new, but I think taking her rightful place in history and the masses recognizing her impact. I can see that happening with Polly Murray. I hope that that does happen with Polly Murray. It probably should happen with Polly Murray.
1: Is is that too short of an answer?
0: (laughs) I want to talk about the fact, you know, that this story hasn't been told. And I kind of want to understand what it has taken to get it told. And, And particularly to Leah and Julie, what was important to you? And Julie, what did you do differently when attempting to illuminate the life of a Black woman? versus Ruth Bader Ginsburg or any other subject? Like what was unique in that task and what unique obstacles, if any, did you face in trying to get this maiden out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you're making a documentary, you should always listen. But I think in this case in particular, because as your question suggests, my experience is (laughs) sort of, padded by so much privilege and such a different life experience than Polly Murray's that the main thing, the, the sort of starting base of like, how do we join to tell this story was to listen to Polly's words. We're fortunate that Polly actually wrote a number of amazing books, both memoirs, a family history and incredible poetry, but maybe even more than that, that in Polly's unbelievably rich archives were about 40 hours of audio tape of Pauli speaking. And in this just unbelievably penetrating voice, Both sort of like the way that like writers use voice of like, oh, you know, how's Polly talking? But just like Polly's literal voice is incredible to listen to and is very like a kind of staring you straight in the face voice. Like when we listen to those tapes, you could just feel how much Polly is speaking to be heard and wants to be heard by those with a multitude of experience. I mean, maybe I'm just like, I, like. it feels like, maybe I'm just saying that. Like It, it feels like you're listening to a voice who's, who's trying to tell you something across the years, in my case, across racial lines, perhaps across gender or class or life experience lines, just like, I want you to hear me. I think, you
2: know, it's like we can't overstate how important it was for us to really paying attention to Polly as a full person and not to project our own ideas about what a person in Polly's experience would think or believe. And so for us, we were really fortunate that, you know, Polly is a person who is living in a different time period than us, who I will say has like underlying everything that Polly was doing was this deep faith in the promise of U.S. democracy, Right. That Polly is time and time again saying, this country is built on this idea that we can all live here equally. And this is where you, UNC, this is where you, whoever you are, wherever she's finding discrimination, wherever Polly is finding discrimination, this is where you're falling short. And here's a way for us to bridge that gap. And so I will say, as a person growing up in my time period, <laughs> as a Black woman growing up now, I don't know that I had the same faith. You know, I don't, I didn't exist with the same faith in U.S. democracy because I had I have a different context for understanding this country. And Polly was really driven by an optimism, you know, born not that far beyond slavery. There is still a generation, right, of Black people who are like, we have overcome (laughs) this huge barrier and we have to keep going and going and going. And that has always existed generation to generation. But for us, it was very important to not project our notions about what a Black person, a person in the South, a person who was assigned female at birth, all sorts of things, a, p- a person who is gender nonconforming, what their life experience would be and really just focus on letting Polly tell us and guide us along the way. When we were able to find that Polly made so many recordings and not just the archive, but we had an intern who stumbled upon Polly recording the autobiography, you know, after we made the film. We knew that was ultimately going to be the spine of how we would tell this story.
0: Walk me through a bit about what it was like to get your hands on that footage, on those archives, on that audio. Is there more? How long did it take? You know, how'd you kind of sift through all of that?
1: So it was a combination of things. I mean, the most of the material that's in the film comes from Pauli Murray's own archives that's at the Schlesinger Library at Harvard really put there, very, very spe- saved very specifically by Polly, given to Polly's grandniece with the instructions, please make sure this all gets to the Schlesinger Library at Harvard, who I've already contacted, and it's all set up with the idea that later scholars, thinkers, and perhaps filmmakers would use this material to build a life story. So we reached out to the family very early on to find out if they would give us permission to first look and then use in a film this collection, which very fortunately they did. I I don't think we would have gone forward with this project without that. Just there wouldn't have been a way to do it.
0: I mean, even saying, obviously she knew that (laughs) maybe we would catch up one day, right? But Even now, I feel like I stumble a bit when I say she, because after I see the movie, I don't know if that feels like what Polly Murray would want me to refer to her as. So where do I mean, where do you land on that? And and should we even be thinking of that? Should that be of importance? Should that be a major takeaway of her story? In one vein, I think like, wow, absolutely. Like this is another example of what we said earlier. Like this is not new. This was a thing. It's not trendy. It's not. New Age, like people have been grappling with these questions of identity and gender forever and how important it is to point that fact out. And then the other part of me is like, is everyone going to overlook so many other facets and parts of her life and contributions that Polly Murray made because they are completely distracted by the gender issues and and you know is the what do we call Polly Murray like a not that important question at this point.
2: So our thinking on this has really evolved over the course of making this film. It's important to say that everything we understand about Polly grappling with gender identity comes from the archives. So Polly left these records intentionally. I will say as a person who spent a lot of time days and days going through the materials. The archive that we see is curated. So there are some things that like in the diaries, there are pages that are ripped out. There are names that are blacked out. And so it's very clear that what we are seeing is what Polly wants us to see. And so in that way, I think we would be doing Polly a disservice if we were to, for some reason, ignore or dismiss this aspect of Polly's life. And in releasing the film and starting to have these sorts of conversations, we trust our audience. And so far, we've been proven right that people are taking in all of Polly. So it's not like any aspect of Polly's life has overshadowed any other aspect. I think it is really the totality of Polly. As much as people are, you know, learning from our film and even what they're learning beyond that, that is what is making Polly so compelling. It is the full story of Polly's existence. And so um, we've been excited, actually, to have people really engage in that conversation. And we wouldn't know, you know, that's the, that's it's actually important to acknowledge. We don't know what pronouns Polly would use, Polly was really limited Mm -hmm. by the language and understanding that existed in Polly's lifetime. And we think it's really important for us not to limit Polly in that same way now.
0: So right now for me, as I speak about Polly Murray, like what feels respectful? Like what feels appropriate to say he, she, they...
1: So you know what? It, this is this is tough, and you might notice Talea and I both trying, we kind of try to just call Polly Polly because that's a name that we know that Polly very much self-selected. Polly's given birth name on, you know, records and in a signature was Anna Pauline. And Polly, quite early in life, chose the name Polly and felt really comfortable with it all along. So, like, we feel pretty good about that. It's hard to know what pronoun... Pauly would have chosen had Polly lived in our current era. And obviously it was not a thing when Pauly was still alive and sort of talking this through with um, various trans and non-binary people, including those in our film, the um, ACLU trans rights lawyer, Chase Strangio, who's who's in our film, actually said when when I asked him that question, just uh, like, you know, not not as part of the film, just saying, hey, you know, he said, you know, some trans people use their name as their pronoun and that might be a good thing to do with Polly. And we were like,
0: yes, yeah,
1: that we see that it's not that easy. It's not that easy to do in conversation. Right. Or writing.
0: No, it's not that easy to do. Even even as I <laughs> attempted, it's a. Uh... It's got to be a conscious, you know, figuring it out. Um, but I think it's important. And I, and I think it's important to be able to have a space where you can ask that question without worrying about, offend, you know, being offensive or insensitive. Like, it's okay to not know the answer and be attempting to figure it out. There was a point in the film where we're seeing and hearing kind of the arguments and the logic that Polly had about desegregation and then figuring out, wait, she wasn't the one that won that case. Somebody else got credit for that. And then you, you know, we get to a moment where I think you said it was Thurgood Marshall, but correct me if I'm wrong, who basically, you know, said to Polly, like, Hey, like, thanks for the tip. You know, it really worked out well kind of thing that really served as a basis for us navigating this issue. And I wondered I wonder if she felt validated or if she felt real pissed off <laughs> that she didn't get the credit.
2: I think that's a good question. I think I will say I was a person that was pissed off on Polly's right, behalf me too. When, I, when I heard the story. And, you know, just one correction. It wasn't exactly um, Thurgood Marshall who makes that comment. It is the professor that Polly had at Howard Got Law it. School, school um, who had access to Polly's graduate paper that is reframing you know, the approach to ending segregation. So Polly's paper is saying what the NAACP, what what the current approach has been is to make sure that the separate but equal clause, that we live up to that by making everything equal. So like the black school should have what the white school has. And Polly is saying, actually, we need to attack the separate. Everything will be inherently unfair and unequal as long as we are separated. And so it really does create this shift, right? It's a revolutionary idea at the time. And it's Polly's professor, Spotswood Robinson, who has access to this paper and is on the lead for Brown versus Board of Education later when they're grappling with how to attack this issue. And they say, you know, Spotswood ultimately says to Polly, oh, by the way, your paper, it was really, really came in handy. (laughs) And there's no record, right? I mean, when Polly is telling, we hear the story in Polly's words, when Polly is telling the story, Polly seems vindicated, maybe, I would say. Polly seems satisfied that finally, that Polly was right, and that the idea actually had an impact. And I would say, I can't, it's hard for me to gauge, I don't know if Julie has an opinion on this, it's hard for me to gauge how much... Polly cared about having credit for each idea. I think to some extent everyone would love that sort of recognition, so I don't want to minimize what actually happened there, but I think Polly still seemed to have taken satisfaction in the idea that this concept actually made it into the world and made a difference. Polly seemed most invested in that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it almost sounds like to my ear there's a somewhat amused tone of voice, but not but with a little edge to it. Like, oh, we, you know, he told me my paper was really helpful. Like, uh, like, I, I, I feel like you can sense uh, a combination of pride and, you know, some righteous
0: irritation, like <laughs> a little hello? shade from Polly Murray <laughs> <laughs> from <the> beyond. <laughs> <laughs> Talia, I know that you were one of the women of color who worked on this project. And I wanted to know if you felt any particular weight or any particular responsibility in the representation of this story and in the handling of this story, particularly at a time where Hollywood at large is being, I think, held accountable for telling our stories and also for helping Black people to tell Black stories. And this is a story I think that is not isolated to being relevant to the Black community, but she certainly is one of ours. And so putting that story in a Black person's hands feels like a minimum now in 2021. If you're going to tell this story, there better be some people of color helping you tell it. So now that we see, I think some of those asks and hopes and desires and changes happening, like, what does that actually look like and feel like? How do you navigate that? So in introducing people to poly, there's a huge
2: responsibility in that. And always in the back of my mind was like, are we going to get this right? Whatever <laughs> right feels like. And it doesn't mean like, does it feel for me? It's like the bar isn't necessarily, does this feel this is not true for Black people, necessarily, because Black people as a whole is sort of like we are a multitude. <laughs> we have a range of experiences. So we are not a monolith. But like, will it feel right to the people who knew Polly? That was the thing that I had in my mind. Like, more than anything, our responsibility here is to be true to Polly. And so I was really mindful of that. And then there were things along the way, I will say that as a Black person, I'm like, oh, we have to put that in there because this really Mm -hmm. resonates with me, right? And we had a Black editor, our editor, Cinque Northern, who's extraordinarily talented. There would be moments where we would cut a scene and we were like highlighting certain things and maybe Betsy and Julie were like, we're not quite sure that this, like, why is this playing, like, And we would just be like, trust us. (laughs) There's a certain part of your audience that's going to think that this is awesome. Or they're going to, or it's going to resonate. It's going to land in a very particular way. And some things weren't, some things were dark, you know, some things weren't so great. But then some things were like Polly's relationship with the black students at Brandeis University where Polly Mm -hmm. really had a bond with them. The way in which we decided to tell that story was because, you know, the editor and I had also had similar experience, like we could really relate to what that connection would be like, um, you know, being black students in a predominantly white space. And so, yeah, there was a lot that I inherently would bring to the table. And I should say that i worked with Betsy and Julie before on another project years ago. And so I had a faith going into the project that they were people who listen because I'd already had that experience with them. And so it felt like if we were all, like it would be a true collaboration. And so that was really important to me.
0: And Julie, was it important for you to make space for Talia to to be able to do that? You know, to kind of understand that there, there might be nuances. There might be a point that Polly made that like just didn't resonate with you the same way that it might for her, like she said, and your ability to be like, yeah, maybe I don't know that, but she does.
1: Um, yes. I mean, and and maybe in some instances, not where one might expect. I mean, one instance that does jump to mind involves those Brandeis students who were kind of mimicking what Polly had been like as a tough love kind of teacher mentor figure and sort of acting out like, oh, you know, she would smoke and then she would say like, now you listen to me, Negro. And... We were like,, well, I don't know. my my reaction was like, I don't, like, is it, like, is that funny? Is that okay to say? like and <laughs> like like we were like, uh,
2: like, they were no, like no. we were like, trust us
1: they were like no that is said with so much love and that just like that And actually that, that that's a moment mm-hmm. that really means something and like yes it should be in the movie like uh, it's like definitely an example that comes to mind so
0: i love that example julie did you or betsy ever discuss or did you feel any trepidation particularly in this climate of of any potential you know backlash or criticism to have two white women helming a project about a, a black woman
1: yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, um, it's perhaps something that even shifted over the course of the time mm-hmm. we were working on this project. This is something that we we started this project in 2018, coming right out of RBG, um, where this story had a very organic connection to RBG because of... Uh, you know the attention that that film had gotten. It kind of put us in a, in a unique position where it was going to be possible to get the resources to make a film, a biographical film about somebody who's not famous. um So, you know, it was a question we asked at the beginning: like, should we even do this? At the time, we were like, yeah, but you know, we, and, and truthfully, when we started the project, we weren't sure what we were, you know. It could, like, is this going to be a short or like it was like the Polly's story spent like whoa this is actually a full um, feature film. Um, but this three years has been a, a lot has happened. Um, you know, of course Black Lives Matter was around before we started this film, but the amount of attention to that and just like to be completely frank, the the awareness yeah. of white people. Of, of that movement and not so not so much on the police brutality side but on the like how are we all living our lives in the professional world and personal world yeah question
2: i just want to add to this that i do think it's important to point out that it is not easy to get funding for a film about Polly murray and that just needs to be acknowledged there um you know betsy and julie were in a very unique position coming off of rbg to be able to have enough people (laughs) enough entities that actually had resources to put behind um, a film like this but it's not like this is an industry that is clamoring that may be changing now i feel like on the whole that remains to be seen exactly (laughs) there are promises for the most part i don't know that we've seen a lot of action behind those promises but in 2018 this was not an easy sell. And so my hope is, and my hope going into this is that it will be easier once Polly is more well known for people from other communities um, and backgrounds to tell their own version of Polly You Murray's beat story. me to
0: my next question, uh, which was for Julie, which was, <laughs> do you think that it took you and your success, the success that you had, with R B G to push this project through, and was that decision, in a way, kind of a bit of activism, like using your platform and your position to push through a story that probably, you know, I, I doubt you you could be the first person who's ever thought of doing something about Polly Murray, aside from like the racism and sexism and weak attention spans of the public, there was probably some other factors too that have kept this story under wraps for so long. So were you using your powers for good on on, on purpose, knowingly? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, uh, you know, it's hard. Like, <laughs> like it feels too self-justificatory to say to say yes. I mean, certainly that was our own answer when uh, in asking the questions like, should we? And and I t- t- to be honest, when we I, I, when we first met with Talea about the possibility of this project, we did not do it in the spirit of like, hey, do you think we should? Do you think it's okay for us even to do it? Although it is a question that yeah <laughs> ourselves because it felt like actually a completely unfair position to put like, like so so you know yes our our general our thought in our head was like oh but no it's totally a worthy project to tell Polly murray's story it's not like we're coming up with words to tell the story with Polly has put some words out there to be listened to. And we did go to Polly's closest living relative who felt pretty secure that us telling the story is something Polly would have yeah. been comfortable with. So.
0: I could talk to both of you all day, but I have to let you go soon. So I want to end by asking you each after spending so much uh, time hearing Polly's voice and examining her life, like, if there was, if you had one more hour, you know, on this project, if you had one more story or one period of her life to just all the way dive into, what what would it be? What left you like, oh my gosh, this is really, really the thing that sticks with me?
1: Poetry is what sticks with me, for sure. Polly's poems are amazing. And like, they're both like sort of beautiful and evocative, but also real lessons. I mean, like one one of the ways, like Polly's poem, Dark Testament, is almost like Howard Zinn's whole book, but in, like, in, like, I don't know, a tiny percentage of the words, just, like, going through a whole look at American history in a deeply insightful, but also really heart-piercing kind of way, so.
2: And I would say, for me, like, from a storytelling perspective, you have to keep the movie going, right? But if we could have spent more time immersed in Polly's childhood... I think we would understand Polly so much more because Polly came from a really rich, diverse family, a black family in Durham that sort of broke people's conventional notions of class and even of race. Some of them could pass for white, and they did. Aunt Pauline, who raised Polly, could pass for white, but didn't <laughs> because she was that committed to black activism. And be and because Polly came from a family. That was really entrenched in both education and racial justice. It really helped to shape who Polly ultimately became. And I think if we could have explored that a little bit further, that would have been awesome.
0: Me too. And that jumped out at me. I didn't get a chance to get to it in this interview, but the colorism, looking at the pictures of her family and being like, whoa, like, That is a pass like that. Is that a black person? And then you hear like, yes, these are her these are her family members that really blew my mind. And I couldn't help but thinking that's another way that that she was marginalized, whether that was by her by her own family or by the black community. It's another thing right now. We talk about colorism in a very small way that is like lighter skin. People have more privilege than darker skin. People that sucks the end. But we never really talk about what that experience does to the light-skinned Black person. And I thought, damn, like she was in on that too. And what did she say about it? And what did she say about being privileged and still being extremely passionate about the oppression of your own people, even if you're a little better off than most of them? I, I run into that now, activists now, celebrities, people who people tend to listen to about issues also criticize them because they say, actually, the issues that you're talking about don't really apply to you. You're rich or you're light or you're famous. And that's something that I haven't really seen tackled. And I I did. I wanted to know more about what Polly felt about that. Um, so that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that, both of you. Thank you both for joining me today on Acting Up. I love this conversation. I absolutely love the project. My name is Polly Murray. Everyone listening, you've got to check it out. This is like not a suggestion. It is a must-see. You are going to be (laughs) behind. You are going to feel way left in the dust if you don't figure out who Polly Murray is and fast. So thank you again, both for joining me today. It's been a a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and suggestions to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio, an executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod.